Welcome everyone to another episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. In this episode, I am joined by Todd Brown and Ian Doak, both of the CCS department, that's our Challenge Core Services department. And in this episode, we're going to be talking specifically about inspections. The first thing on that list is uh, what the client should prepare for in preparation for an inspection. There's not a lot that people have to do to prep for an inspection once it's on the calendar and scheduled. There are a few key things that do need to happen, though. You need to make sure that uh, access to the entire course is available to the inspectors when they they get there. Mm -hmm. Um, That includes all your equipment. So if you've got multiple staff and they're they have their own personal equipment. If you if you want that inspected, you have to make sure that it's available and at the site. We, we see a variety of things when it comes to inspections, especially around the equipment. But as far as prep ahead of time, you know, making sure the access is available, you know, having taken a look at your course prior to us coming out. Also, it's important to review the previous inspection report. So you're up to date with any comments that were made there. That way we can when our staff get to the site, they can talk to you about had repairs made in the past um, since our last inspection. In regards to that inspection report, that's a great thing to make sure that people are aware of, that they're reading that ahead of time. They know the things that maybe were uh, marked as in need of repair for the previous one. Your recommendation is that people are scheduling, if they are looking at that and scheduling the repairs, they need to be rescheduling those repairs ahead of time, right? They're not you're not coming in inspecting and then they're going, oh, you're going to fix that, right? Like we're not necessarily prepped to fix the thing unless it's been brought up prior, right? Correct. Um, If you're expecting something outside of just the inspection, it's always a good idea to request that up front. Mm -hmm. Our our crews frequently travel with some materials, but not enough to do major repairs. And we'll make minor adjustments to a course during an inspection. If a serving sleeve is loose, we might reattach that. The inspection includes a thorough tactical inspection. So we we check all the nuts and bolts to make sure that they're tight, as well as looking for any wear or, or damage from environment or whatnot. But we, we don't necessarily come prepared to make major repairs. Other than the the looking at inspection reports and and also, you know, not necessarily needing to have everything laid out. I know that there has been change in the past around our recommendations around uh, gear left in the air or taken down. Do you want to speak to that, Todd? Yeah, with the advance of technology and equipment, most of the belay gear these days are, is stainless steel and, and it's capable of it withstanding the environments. So the need for people to take their gear down every year is not what it used to be. It's important that people climb and take a look at their gear you know, frequently throughout the year just to be sure that the rapid links are still tight. Nothing's been hit or damaged or with a lightning strike or any falling branches or anything like that. So at this point, we're recommending that folks leave their belay gear up year round. The other reason for leaving your gear up is um, one of the scariest things we find when we're back doing an inspection is someone who's taken their gear down and put it back up in a inappropriately or incorrectly. That's the other one of the other major reasons we've we started recommending people leave their gear up. Yeah, I think you had a story. 
Yeah, correct. I uh, I remember being on an inspection and I was inspecting a paper pole that the gear had been set up prior to my arrival. This was in the spring and the gear was set up improperly where the rope was now running through a pulley opposed to a shear reduction device. And as we know, like there's of all the elements, you probably don't want to add more (laughs) or take away friction from that device or from that system. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I remember seeing that and being like, Oh yeah, this is, this is not set up correctly. This is scary. What was just to give a little bit of historical perspective, what was the reasoning behind people taking them down in the first place? Historically, lay device equipment was not stainless steel and it could rust. So there was, there was weather concerns. Also the other advantage to having people taking down their gear is that it does encourage them to climb. You know, if we say you have to take your gear down, then people have to climb. And that's one of the things that people get away from. And if they're not a little bit comfortable with to begin with, they'll avoid. And it's not frequently that a, a, a facilitator has to climb while they're programming but it's, it's good for them to practice so that they can climb if they have to. I think a lot of sites too felt like they needed to take their course down because they were preserving the course and they didn't want it to get old. So beyond just the shear reduction devices and pulleys that would rust, you know, there's some stories of, of camps or, or, or any organization who were closing their course for the season and they would take all of their rope products or multi-line, multi-line products down, which was a huge endeavor for them. And then in the, in the spring, sometimes our inspectors were surprised to show up and be like, oh, while you're here, can you set up all this stuff for us? And I think all those products, like you're saying, Todd, will last in the elements just fine. And it's not necessary that they come down every season. Yeah. And I can say from a trainer perspective, I've run on to, I've gone to courses or trainings where the gear wasn't in the air. And so one, it takes time away from the training because then I'll have to go and put that up. Or I've even come across uh, courses that I've been there for the training and they said, don't worry, the gear is getting put up. And then I've gone to look at the gear being put up by people who did not have the skill sets to be doing it uh, because it was required that they had to do it. And they'd never used a set of claws before. They were using it for the first time. I once caught uh, an individual up in the air, uh, clipped into things that he definitely should not have been clipped into. Um, so huge concerns around people putting their own gear up. I think it's probably... The other benefit of keeping stuff up is allows both the inspectors and also us as trainers to know that they have all of the gear for that specific element rather than it all being kept in their shed. Then we don't know exactly what went where and we're checking through and saying, oh, there's enough rope. But when it comes to the training side of things, I've, I've run into elements that didn't have all the stuff they needed and they, they, there wasn't really an awareness of what was needed for elements because they weren't separated in any way. Lots of reasons why it's important, I think, at this stage to keep your stuff in the air. Let us get up there. Our inspectors will have to climb the elements anyway. Um, So having stuff in the air is helpful. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, putting up belay gear isn't all that technically hard as far as, you know, you're going to put a pulley potentially on the cable and connect the rapid link to a shear reduction device. But that being said, it is some of the most critical points of the course. And if it's done improperly, it's sort of weird that, or suggesting to to sites that they should be doing it. Now, going back on that, it's not that hard, but as soon as you take it and put it 35, 40 feet off the ground, the people that are doing it are thinking about a lot of other things potentially beyond just, am I hooking this up correctly? And that's where, like you said, we've seen some of the mistakes where they're clipped clipped in inappropriately or 
they don't think through what they're doing and they hook it all up, but they forget to tighten the rapid link or even restringing the P cord. We've all seen P cord running through shear reduction devices improperly because someone pulled it. And then when they strung it back through, they put it through half of the shear reduction device, but it's hanging off running over the edge of the other side. And that can do a lot of damage to your rope when someone waits it. What is like an ideal way that you've been greeted by both the client and had all the stuff set up for you to be able to do the inspection? Like, what do you, what do you go and go like, this is a perfect inspection because everything is so, what would be an example of that? Donuts and coffee. Donuts, coffee, and a, and a tip jar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mentioned that the gear doesn't have to be laid out. It's much nicer and easier, quicker if the gear is laid out or at least if it's not buried in a closet underneath the basketballs and, and everything else that gets thrown into gymnasium closets on occasions. It's nice that sites will have their paperwork together for us as well. You know, so not only are we there inspecting the course and the equipment, but a lot of times we need to be looking at their standard operating procedures and emergency action plans. And that stuff usually will live in a binder somewhere. And Sometimes people know where it is and sometimes they don't. <laughs> and I agree with you, Todd. It's nice if the gear is at least pulled out and at least organized and not like, well, some of it's here, some of it's there. In doing an inspection, looking at equipment probably takes as long or longer than inspecting a course because it's much more tedious of going through every inch of the rope, every stitches on the harness. You know, it takes a while. So no one wants to have to go looking for it. Yeah, and unless we've been prior and we know what gear they had the previous year, there have been cases that I've also gone to trainings where whole sections of gear were not inspected because they were not readily available for the inspectors. And then I'm looking through the inspection list as a trainer going, okay, we've got all the stuff. And then there's this whole other box of like 20 harnesses that people are wanting to use that have now not been inspected. So knowing that the inspectors are coming, having everything ready to be inspected is, is crucial for then you to be able to use it and be trained on it if you're getting training and then operating in the future also. Our staff is also pretty good at, at following up with folks. If we are doing an inspection and there's a, a large chunk of gear that we didn't see, we aren't seeing right now, but we that was inspected the year before, we, we try to ask for that. But definitely better if it's all in one spot right up front. A couple other things is, you know, you go in to inspect a gear. One is if you do, if we haven't been there in the past or you've purchased new equipment since we've been there, having some of that documentation, a lot of equipment that we look at does have a date on it, but certain pieces of equipment don't. For example, climbing ropes are a very hard thing for us to date if we don't have any history based on when you purchased them and, and when they were manufactured. The other part that I would recommend is if any of your equipment fails inspection, that that equipment should be removed from the equipment shed and discarded appropriately. Many times we'll come in and do an inspection and, you know, the customer says, yeah, my gear is in the, in the shed or in the closet. Here's the key. And we go in there and we start inspecting it. And then we uncover a bag or a crate full of gear that we don't have a history to. And we look at it. We're like, is this retired gear? Is this gear that they're using? And, you know, that could add three hours to an inspection if we go through a crate full of retired gear to then fail it all again. Not to mention the safety concerns of having retired gear in your equipment shed. Yeah, and I know a lot of horror stories are related to people using gear that they shouldn't have been using and not getting rid of it uh, appropriately. This might seem like an obvious thing to you both, but if I was a client, what is my 
what do you expect of me during the inspection? Do you want me to hang around? Do you want me to unlock stuff and leave you? It really depends on the site. Uh, the process of inspecting a course is not not necessarily a spectator sport. <laughs> not really exciting. But we're we're uh, most of the staff are very open to having people you know tag along um, while they're doing inspection if they want to see what the process is like. If they've got questions, they, the the inspectors are there for a specific job though. So. <laughs> You know, they do need to focus a bit. So coordinate your questions and ask them at appropriate times. That would be also very helpful. Yeah, I, uh, I always appreciate it when I arrive to do an inspection to staff that are there to sort of give me what I need, give me access to the the equipment, ask a couple of questions, but then I'll just let them know, hey, I'm around. You're welcome to hang out with me and ask questions and, and observe like you're saying, Todd. But also, I understand that you also have a job and you have plenty to do. You have no obligation to spend the day with me. Like if you could dedicate a half an hour in the morning and maybe a half an hour at the end of the day so I can go over what I found, that would be that would be ideal. Especially if it's a course that we have inspected previously. Sometimes with newer courses, it's good to either have that half an hour of time up front to get oriented to the course for someone to walk us through and show us, you know, what they're using. If there's elements on the course, they don't use, if there's an element you don't use, it'd be nice for us to know up front so that we don't take time inspecting it. If it's really not being used. We've talked about the preparation. We've talked about the process. We've talked about uh, recommendations. What now are some things that you've witnessed in your inspections that give you pause and also could be lessons for others who are listening to this and thinking, Oh, I'm about to embark on an inspection. The equipment again, back to the equipment again, equipment's a popular topic. Ian mentioned that, you know, getting rid of equipment, if you're not using it, our staff will, if we fail a piece of equipment, our staff will pull it aside. We have a tag, a a do not use tag that will get zip tied to any equipment that should be failed and removed. But it's always it's always scary when you come into a site and you find the next year you find the tag on the ground or in a box in the corner, but the gear that was with it is gone. Then the question becomes, where did that gear go? Did they actually throw it out like they were supposed to, or did the tag get pulled off and is it back in with everything else? Sometimes it's a treasure hunt. Where did that where did that failed harness go? I always uh, chuckle our staff when when we hear this phrase when we're on the site. While you're here dot, dot, dot. <laughs> do you mind? And we always joke the, do you mind just building a vertical playpen real quick as, <laughs> as the internal joke? Because obviously that's like one of the more complicated things that we build and time consuming. But I, and we mentioned this earlier, if there are things that you want to have done while we're there, trying to let our team know before we actually arrive so we can plan out our day. Typically our, our weeks are based on inspection swings. And so we're either coming from a site to yours or we're going to another site after yours and as our staff move through their week they're trying to, to plan ahead and you know the, the while you are here as much as we love to provide great customer service at some point it's going above and beyond what we have time or material to do and we don't want to let, let you down but we also need to do what we got to do <laughs> maybe a, another horror story that we see so often is and this is again back to equipment, but improper storage of equipment in the off season. People who will leave their equipment in a shed that is not rodent proof, um, they will find it. They will find it if it's in your shed and you put it into a Rubbermaid tub and you duct tape that tub shut. Still, they will find it. <laughs> and mice like to build nests 
and helmets that are stored upside down. They like to chew the middles of your ropes. They like to destroy your harnesses and make nests in there. And then when we come in, if it hasn't been discovered yet, we will, we will discover what the mice have been doing over the winter. Typically, they, again, find the middles of your climbing rope. They love rescue bags because they can nestle right in there and chew the rope and, and make a home. And they love to, to make nests in helmets that have been hung upside down so they can chew your rope, pull it all into the helmet, and then make a nest. And you know, a lot of that stuff, like even with a helmet, if they haven't chewed through the helmet, but they've lived in it for the season, it's just it's a sanitary issue. We can't in good conscience give it a passing grade as is and then think that it's going to get put on somebody's head. With that being said, take your equipment, bring it into a heated structure where it can be stored where rodents are not getting to. It never hurts to check those pieces of gear that you're bringing in. I was doing an inspection in a storage room off of, in a school. The gear had been in there through the winter. A lot of the harnesses and and ropes were stored in these big buckets. I got to the bottom of one of the buckets and went to turn it upside down to get the last bit of stuff out and out popped a mouse. This mouse had been in this bucket of stuff in this school for I don't know how long, but the mice, the rodents, they're tenacious. So do a thorough search when you're putting stuff away at the end of the season before you just move it into the warm, dry space. I know that summer camps run into this a lot because they have that real quick close of a summer camp season. You've got all your staff, you're trying to do clean up, and then you're maybe left from going from a hundred and so staff to maybe one or two. And so that often gets neglected. Being able to know to store that and not leaving that out is so crucial to you having not having to spend a crazy amount of money come the new season. It's helpful in a lot of ways too to make sure you plan and take the time to properly put away your course. It's the perfect time for you to do a in-house inspection, which we recommend. Inspections done professionally, like hiring High Five or another vendor, is something that should happen annually. But Throughout the year, you know, if you're depending on how much you're using your course, you need to inspect it two or three times yourself. And the end of your programming season is a great time to not only store it away properly, but to inspect it um, and, and take inventory so that you'll know that if next season you need, you know, you've got helmets that are going to retire, you're going to need some extras, or you've got anything damaged, or, you know, you're planning to increase your numbers for programming you can budget and plan appropriately for the next year summer camp settings as well another reason not to take too much of your course down is a lot of times there's fair number of high turnover at summer camp settings if you don't have the same people coming back or if they didn't the people who took down the course or put it put it away the year before didn't take good notes a new person coming in can have quite the struggle to figure out what's supposed to be where and the end of the season is a good time to take your time and, and do a good inspection, put stuff away properly. So uh, thank you, uh, Todd and Ian, for discussing inspections. For more information on what we offer at High Five, you can go to our website at highfiveadventure.org. And for inspections specifically, if you have inquiries or questions about them, you can email Todd at tbrown at highfiveadventure.org. Uh, thank you to both of you.
Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article Pass a guy. <laughs>